back to Bleacher Brawls, the home of the greatest rivalry in professional sports. Uh, my name's Luke. I'm here with Derek and Mike. We've got our normal midweek crew here uh, for a landmark episode in the Bleacher Brawls history. This is our 200th episode ever, uh, so we have now officially lasted twice as long as the Sopranos. So we've obviously got some staying power, and uh, so... It's a somewhat historic moment for us. So we've been around, we've known each other for quite a while. Uh, me and Derek have anyway. Mike has is more of a newcomer, but uh, it's uh, this is where a lot of shows would give you a clip show or something like that. We are better than the rest. We are going to give you an actual show with actual content. Uh, it also has something to do with the fact that we don't have the production staff to put together a clip show. It's a lot easier to just jump on here and talk about stuff the way we normally do. Uh, so glad you're listening to us. Uh, again, I'm here with Derek and Mike. We're going to talk uh, about a few different things today. We're going to talk about the Orioles making more off-season waves in the past week than they have in the past decade before. Um, we'll talk about the uh, some big Red Sox news. That has absolutely nothing to do with building the roster. Um, and we'll reflect on how we've grown as individuals and podcasters over the course of our stay, our own respective stays here with Bleacher Brawls. Uh, but uh, let's get started first with our first pitch. Uh, Derek, how's everything going? Uh, it's going good. I mean, I'm just kind of chilling right now. Um... I mean, it's Wednesday as we're recording here on Wednesday, so the week's almost over for me uh, because I'm lucky. I'm a college student, and I don't have classes on Fridays, so I really only have one more day left in the week, and then I'm done. Uh, so a little easy for me, keeping it you know, a little bit more relaxed. I've gotten all my uh, homework and stuff done for the next like week and a half, kind of done. So we're going to get hitting on the team profiles. We didn't mention this last episode, but the team profiles are coming back. The YouTube channel's coming back. We're bringing it back. I'm excited about it. Um, we're going to be bringing back our 40 videos in 40 days that we did last year, similar to last year, 30 team profiles, and then 10 other videos mixed in. Um, we're really excited about it. I'm extremely excited about it. We're going to start recording them this weekend, and it's going to be really fun. Uh, Michael, I know you haven't taken part in that, so it'll be new to you, but the rest of the crew has. Um, and I think it's something we all enjoyed last year. We had fun with last year. Um, and it'll be something I think that's going to continue for us. I think it'd be really fun doing this on a yearly basis. So it's the second year of it. Hopefully it's not the last. Hopefully we keep it going. Um, and it's kind of fun that we're continuing news of the YouTube channel coming back and it's a 200th episode. So, um, it's a fun one. That's right. So keep your eyes peeled, uh, for some new YouTube content coming from Bleacher Balls. Quite a bit of it. 40 videos in 40 days. We're going to cover every major league team and uh, a couple other topics as well. Uh, Mike, how's everything going with you? Give us your first pitch. Uh, doing well, doing well. I had I was going to come on here and do some spiel about how I'm doing, but now I can't stop thinking about Derek's schedule and how I'm very jealous that he gets to end his week tomorrow. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't think you do very many eight to nine hour days in college either. So um yeah, no, enjoy it while you can, buddy. Stay young while you can because uh, once you get out of it, there's a uncle, and then you get Uncle Sam calling you. It, it's it's not fun. So I envy you. Enjoy. Have fun. And it's pretty topical response because as I was sitting here, as we're sitting here recording the beginning of the show, my daughter just walked into the room 
uh, asking for asking for her wa- where her water bottle is. So it's yes, true. Enjoy the uh, free time, the endless amounts of free time that you have to pursue the stuff you enjoy, <clears throat> because uh, the responsibility stuff makes uh, comes along before too long, and that's still fun too. But a lot of the a lot of the little ancillary stuff uh, has to go bye bye. Uh, my first pitch is, well, it's not a first pitch I would have been giving before I moved to Texas three years ago, but I want to pour one out for Toby Keith. I uh, just passed away uh, this a couple days ago. I am particularly not really a country fan, but Toby Keith actually has some meaning to me in as far as me. I, I lived in Massachusetts for my entire life until three years ago when I moved to San Antonio. And a big difference I noticed between those two parts of the country were that were the um, well, the Fourth of July celebrations. So, just like in Massachusetts, down here in Texas, where I live at anyway, outside of San Antonio, we do the fireworks and they play music, and it's a lot of fun. But here, it's and here they they really up the patriotism. People are very patriotic down here. And during the fireworks display, at the end of the fireworks display, uh, no, I'm sorry, at the beginning of the fireworks display, they play the national anthem, which is great. And everybody gets up for it. Uh, But immediately after that, they would play every year where I live after the national anthem, they play Toby Keith's song, courtesy of the red, white, and blue. And if you're not familiar with that song, that's the 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 song that he that Toby Keith made after 9/11, where he talks about putting a boot up Osama bin Laden's ass, and it's very it really strikes a chord around here. And if you don't believe me, then just go by what I just said. the The fireworks on the Fourth of July go go off. The national anthem plays. And then the boot up your ass song plays. So it's the national anthem is the undercard to the main event, which is Toby Keith with the whoop of the boot up his ass. It's the American way. And that, that would not be happening in Massachusetts where I used to live. So a little fun, a little fun, very Texas twist to the 4th of July celebrations here. So uh, Toby Keith, I didn't really know much of your music. But I knew that one. That one definitely. I mean, everybody knows that one, and it was. Uh, we all we all enjoyed it uh, when it first came out, and we were all we were all behind the meaning and everything. But it's funny. Twenty three now. Twenty going on twenty three years later, it still has a special place in the hearts of people down around where I live. Uh, Derek, how big of a Toby Keith fan are you? Uh, the only thing I know is that he one time hosted an episode of a WWE show. That's the only thing I knew about him. Oh, so. oh I remember those. I remember the guest host days. Oof, that was yeah. a dark period for WWE. So you never slipped in I any Toby. You never slipped nope. in any Toby Keith around young Wheezy or whatever it is that you listen to. I don't. I most of them like. Well, my mom doesn't listen to country music at all. My grandparents don't. My grandparent, my grandfather just listens to stuff from like the fifties and sixties. Um, my my mom used to listen just like pure like rock from like the eighties, and now she just listens to like Christian music. So I've been <laughs> kind of left to my own devices. So I kind of just listen to what everyone else around my age listens to mostly. So, Chris, Christian music is big down here too. I gotta say it's country. Then I'd probably say it's Christians the second most popular. 
Mike, you a country fan? You're from the Midwest. Uh, no, sir. Originally from the East Coast. Uh, parents grew up in the hard streets of New York City where country was not allowed, apparently. So, <laughs> um, no, yeah, didn't grow up on country. More of a, uh, honestly, I kind of liked my parents' music, as they would say, uh, like the old little disco, uh, little pop, you know, Michael Jackson and you know, something like that. But um, no, yeah, rest in peace, though. I know he was a, I think he was a patriot, right? Um, if not, um, true, great, true American. So rest in peace. He bled red, white, and blue, that's for sure. Uh, I think he was 62 years old, so uh, rest in peace, Toby Keith. Uh, so let's get to the baseball stuff, and I, I guess what we'll cover first is the biggest signing we've had for the probably since Juan Soto signed with the Yankees, the biggest signing that I can think of in the American League East, Corbin Burns is now a Baltimore Oriole. The Orioles have that ace that seems to be the final piece that may have been holding them back from playoff success last year. Uh, Sound familiar, Sox fans? The one missing piece, the ace? Well, the Orioles got one. So good for them. Good for Pat. Pat's going to be very excited about this. Corbin Burns will spend his last year before free agency playing in the toughest division in baseball. Not sure how well that bodes for him considering the level of competition he'll do he'll be doing battle with right before he hits the market, but I'd say this will probably be the best team he's played with during his major league career. So, uh Derek, we'll start with you. Give us your thoughts on Corbin Burns going to Birdland. Uh, I, I mean, I think it makes sense, right? We, when you look at the Orioles roster, and it's yeah, they definitely could have used, can use a guy like like Corbin Burns. Obviously, like uh, he's seen as an ace. Uh, last year, I think it was probably his worst year out of his last three years for sure. Uh, but like he still, it wasn't a bad year by any means. Three thirty nine ERA, three to one FIP, uh, four or two Sierra. But he, like he did like really turn it around like after the All Star break and whatnot. Had a very strong second half. So like you're kind of looking at the year a little bit uh, of two tails a little bit. Um, there's kind of, I think there's a little bit of like a pitch tweak uh, in the middle of the year, which really helped him. Um, and overall, like the Orioles, like you had um, Kyle Bradish who had a very, very solid year last year. I mean, very solid actually might be a bit of an understatement actually. Um, Grayson Rodriguez is young, super promising, ended last year. Well, John means will be back. Uh, it'll be his first year and it feels like a couple years. And then Dean Kramer was is solid as well. So it's it, would take those four guys, you add Corbin Burns to that mix, put him at the top of that Orioles rotation. It's it's like a perfect fit. Um, and Burns, obviously, you know, the last three years, last four years, really, if you want to count twenty twenty, he's been stellar. So I think overall, it, you get the Orioles are getting a proven guy. He's won a Cy Young. Uh, he won it in twenty twenty one. Uh, so overall, I think it's a really good move. But, like, don't sleep on the guys the Brewers got either because because especially, like, D.L. Hall, I know, like, big piece in that deal. I know that the Orioles are just going to have him be a reliever. So a lot of people are like, well, why are the Brewers trading him and getting a reliever back? Seems like the Brewers want D.L. Hall to start. He has the stuff to be dominant. Um, it's just, can he start? That'll be a big question. The Brewers seem like they're going to try it with him. Um and then besides that, Joey Ortiz is a very kind of sneaky prospect that I think has flown under the radar. And I think he could actually open the path to like a Willie Adamas trade, honestly. 
um, for the Brewers as well. He maybe could start at shortstop to start the year. So it's a very interesting trade. The Brewers also got a draft pick. That's fun. Uh, competitive balance. Uh, uh, round A competitive balance pick. Uh, it was the 34th pick, I'm pretty sure. So overall, like I think this is a good trade for both sides. The Brewers weren't going to bring back Corbin Burns. So overall, like, I, I think this is solid. I think it makes sense. The Brewers are doing their kind of raise thing, trading the star, but bringing in some high upside guys and a DL Hall. DL Hall can start. Like that could be amazing, amazing ad- addition, and and it's a similar thing in the sense of Joey Ortiz. I think like he could potentially be an everyday player, um, super underrated, and every and all the people like that really follow have been following him. Have been like, yeah, like uh, Chris Clegg was someone who I look to looks, you know, he knows a lot of his stuff, and I think he tweeted out like he could see this leading to an Adamus trade, which is why I brought you know bring that up. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Dominic gets moved. I think it makes sense for both sides. I think it's a solid trade. I think people are sleeping on the package. Milwaukee got a little bit too. Well, they, it's they're unproven players that the Brewers got in return for Burns. Obviously, Burns is the story of this trade. Will the is will it be a good package that the Brewers get in return for it? Very well could be, but it's just one of those things you we won't know for a year or two. We know right now that the Orioles have a guy who's been among the best pitchers in baseball the last few years, despite his ERA has gone up the last four seasons. And, but it's not like he's the one guy. It's not like it's going to be uh, Corbin and prey for the, for the Orioles. I think a lot of people forget that John means is coming back and he's, he started six games the last two years approaching Chris sale territory there. Mike, how does adding Corbin Burns make you feel about how does the Orioles adding Corbin Burns make you feel about the Yankees chances at maybe winning the division over Baltimore, which I think people, a lot of people were kind of leaning towards after the pickups the Yankees have made this offseason. Um, I definitely think uh, it got, it makes them better. Corbin Burns ain't no scrub for sure. Um, I don't necessarily think that makes them like a clear cut favorite in the East for sure. Um, I mean, they don't have two of the top four hitters in baseball right now. That would be the New York Yankees. Um, they don't have a 24 year old who's got a career 946 um, OPS, which is honestly might be one of the best starts to a career ever in baseball history. Um, Aaron Judge, American League home run record. I mean, uh, they don't have the Cy Young winner coming off. Corbin Burns is solid, but I'd much rather have Garrett Cole this year. That's for sure. Um, I think what people forget, though, is Soto, he's going to replace the at-bats of, like, Willie Calhoun, Jake Bowers, Billy McKinney, Frenchie Cordero. Like, those dudes, I don't even know if half of those guys are on Major League roster this year. Um, So, like, combined last year, the the left field and center field positions, the outfield for the Yankees last year, had a um, 2.9 um, wins against uh, a war, basically, um, wins against replacement. So when Aaron Judge wasn't playing, they were basically uh, a net negative combined. Um, Juan Soto is going to do a lot of the fixing of that. He's projected uh, a six wins against replacement player this year. Judge is project- projected a six wins against replacement player this year. I don't think he, you know, God forbid he has another freak injury like he did last year where he has to miss two months of the season. Because other than that, I think the year or two before that, he's been tracking upwards in games played. I think, you know, he's been playing a lot more than the beginning of his career. So um, 
I don't know, man. In the in the four, you know, this offseason in four days, they were projected that uh, they were projected the left field and center field were projected the fourth worst in baseball to start the season, and then once they got Soto, Grisham, Verdugo, they're now projected to be uh, the number one outfield in baseball. So, um, I don't know. With all the injuries the Yankees had last year, I'm, I'm hoping for a healthier season. I'm expecting things to go wrong for Baltimore. I said that on a couple shows earlier. I, I don't think they're, you know, I think a lot of things fell their way last year. As a sports better, I bet on a lot of Baltimore games because they could win some really close games. Um, and that just doesn't happen a lot in a row, many years in a row in baseball. Um, so I think you now become the hunted. You were the hunter last year. No, you kind of snuck up on a lot of people, but you're the AL East winner now. So I think you're going to have a tough time going through the East this year. I think a lot of people are going to have something to say about it. Well, this is – it's funny that you mentioned Franchi Cordero because I'm pretty sure he's on the Orioles now, or if he's at least on their, in their system. He's not there. Good. You're shaking your head. When I – Franchi's in the NPB now. He's in, he's in Japan? He signed with the Cebu Lions. Oh, okay. Because on his uh, baseball reference page, he's wearing an Orioles hat. Yeah, he was went to the Orioles uh, last year in the middle of the year, um, but he was a free agent and he went to the NPB. So he'll be in the NPB this upcoming year, which actually will be interesting for him, considering that he's raked at AAA and can't hit in the big leagues. So uh, I think that'll actually be interesting for him. The other thing I did want to add to uh, while we're on the Corbin Burton subject um, in terms of the Orioles. Uh, so Corbin Burns last year gave up 25 homers and the year before he gave up 23 homers, right? His expected home runs in Baltimore over the last few years are 20 home runs and 18. And you have to think that like that left field wall being so stupidly deep. And I will always say it's stupid because it is stupid. And I hate how in like the left center gap, it makes like a right angle and juts out even deeper. It's it, it's so weird. It's not natural, but whatever you can do with the dimensions, whatever you want. Um, so I don't be shocked. You see Corbin Burns home runs tally drop a little bit. Um, and I think that'll be huge because in 2021, he only gave up seven home runs in the last two years. He's given up 23 and 25. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to get to seven, but like if you can get him, if he gets down to like the 15, range i think that'll help him a lot and also too when you look at the park factor for um not the overall park factor but the park factor for home runs specifically milwaukee's park factor for home runs last year was 107 baltimore was all the way down at 91 so that is a very sizable difference so don't be shocked if the home run ball um drops it gets less for corbin burns this year which will help him in free agency money wise and will help the orioles too in his performance yeah, I hadn't considered that, the the fact that he's going to be playing his home games in Baltimore. So there's probably realistically 15 starts or so in Baltimore where it's really hard to hit a home run in two-thirds of the park. So that, that actually probably is a benefit for him. And Okay, well, it's a good thing Franchi's not there too because getting John Means and Corbin Burns and Franchi Cordero added to the team that just won the division and is adding Jackson Holiday as well would have just been too much. That would almost be unfair. Be 130 wins incoming easily. Although I do think Franchi has the longest home run in the StatCast era in Arizona and in Philadelphia. So you love bringing up, you love bringing up, you love guys that just hit, just 
out of the blue just hit tape measure home runs. Miguel Sano. Uh, who's the other guy? There's a, there's another guy that oh yeah it was um, Miguel Sano. Like you yeah, loved the longest that guy. homer at Fenway. Yeah, four ninety five. Off yeah. wasn't off Nick Pavetta too. You loved that guy because he had like three tape measure home runs in his career. Like oh the Red Sox should take a chance on Miguel Sano. He might be playing in Japan too. Or Korea. no, he signed uh, I think a minor league deal with the Angels. Even worse. Well, let's move on to some Red Sox news. Uh, smile, Red Sox fans. Uh, we've demanded it for months, and now Fenway Sports Group has finally made a big move this offseason. It's not Jordan Montgomery. It's not Jorge Soler. It's Netflix. The Red Sox have added Netflix to the Major League roster. A Netflix docu-series will follow the Red Sox throughout the entire 2024 season and will be released on the streaming on that streaming platform sometime in 2025. Pat seems to be a little... Uh, he, he advised caution on that because of the way Netflix seems to announce deal announce um, productions and then end up shelving them and not releasing them. I can't imagine this not getting off the ground though. This is a huge deal. Uh, Derek has Derek will have a column on bleacherbrawls.com tomorrow explaining that this is maybe the biggest the biggest offseason move in Major League Baseball during this this offseason. So uh, one has to wonder if this is the start of an annual Netflix docu-series that'll follow a different team every year, kind of the way NFL does hard knocks. Uh, who knows? Uh, who knows how well it does? I got to imagine it's drawing. A, it, it's definitely drawing a lot of interest uh, so far. Uh, Michael, are you looking forward to seeing the Boston Red Sox behind the scenes? Um, here I'm going to quote the uh, one and only Joseph Shigori. Um, JDS Bostonian. Uh, why the Red Sox? Why our last place team? Did people think we were going to bounce back? This is going to be really freaking embarrassing. And I changed the words on that. Uh, what a freaking nightmare, which was my favorite. Um, no, I, I think there could have been a couple better teams they picked for the first ever, um, you know, uh, drive to survive baseball version. I don't know. I'm not sure. I forget what they were going to call it, but, um, on a serious note, I do enjoy those shows. And, um, I did watch the court, the football version of the quarterback one. Um, I do think that they have an opportunity to maybe show, like, I think we were talking about in the chat. They have an opportunity to show, you know, a different side of baseball. A lot of people thought, you know, you, you, you go see, you're they're going to show the Dodgers, right. Who we kind of expect to win a decent amount of games or be, you know, have the players to promote that. Right. Um, here you're going to show some, I think some tough conversations, which is kind of what this, um, Netflix producers kind of look for. Like I know, um, they take a book out of the, uh, hard knocks. Um, you watch the coaches basically cut players. So I'm kind of wondering, are we going to watch, um, you know, the Red Sox DFA players? Are you going to watch those tough conversations? Um, no, but I, I do think it's going to grow the game. I don't know if it's going to grow like the Red Sox fan base as maybe they're expecting it to. Um, especially knowing like Netflix doesn't have to get permission on the final say of what's going on in this show. I heard, um, meaning like, it's not just going to be a Red Sox propaganda tool. It's, you know, they're going to show the, the real side of it. Um, I am dying to see what Tristan Costas is like off the field. 
I heard he's kind of a weirdo, maybe a little oddball. So um, I think that could be fun to watch. Um, but in the same breath, it, I'm wondering, you know, like they have a really bad season, like, and this show is good, which I kind of expect it to be. This could get in some players' head. I mean, like you're going to be known, like the the non-Red Sox and the non-Yankees fans who don't necessarily know all these Boston players, they have a bad season. Like, what are you gonna what are you gonna think of the first thing you see them? So that could get in people's confidence. Um, but I don't know. I'm I, again, I'm definitely gonna watch it. So whether it's the Red Sox or whatever team, I think it's a good idea for baseball. I, I can't wait for it. And even if this year goes really poorly for the Red Sox, it's going to be an interesting watch. It, we, we've never seen this kind of production for baseball. I've always wondered what, how these guys interact with each other. And that's, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see, really eye-opening to see. Of course, the players are probably going to be on their best behavior because they know cameras are there watching them. So they're going to try and be like the best citizens they can. And maybe that could be a good thing for the, for the Red Sox. People are going to, are going to know they, they're probably not going to get away with as much uh, diva-ish kind of behavior the way they did in the past. And as for what Joey says, my, this is what I told him in the group chat. It's, there's already a series, a, a, a production that follows the Red Sox throughout every season. And it happens on Nessun, 162 games a year. And every episode is two and a half to four hours long. So there's already, you, if you watch Red Sox games, everyone, they get pretty good ratings. Everybody already knows how the, if the Red Sox are playing terribly, it's not going to get much more attention being on Netflix than it's going to be, you know, playing a full major league season across the country. Uh, and you spoke to are people are they going to see people getting cut or whatever? And I w- I would be willing to I would be willing to watch every episode. I would happily watch every episode, even if the Red Sox didn't win a single game this season, if they showed footage of Bobby Dahlbeck being designated for assignment on that show that would make it all worth it for me uh derek i know your column is going to be going up tomorrow on bleacherbrawls.com and you've got a lot of information in there and i'm sure you're going to give us all your thoughts in that column but uh give us a sneak peek now is this a good thing for the red sox or is it a bad thing or is it not really matter i I think this is an exceptionally good thing for not just the red sox but for major league baseball as a whole um, as my understanding of this is this is a thing that kind of the Red Sox have been kind of pushing for and not necessarily like an MLB pushed for thing, which is why it's the Red Sox. Also why I, I did ponder the question in my column, like, is this going to be an MLB thing where they change teams or could the Red Sox maybe get this to be an exclusive Red Sox thing where it sticks with the Red Sox? Cause if that's the case, that's really going to help the Red Sox. I think like business wise, this is brilliant uh, because not only are you – because, yes, the Red Sox are not being paid in terms of monetary value. They're not being paid for this Netflix docuseries. But they're being paid in exposure and the chance to bring in new fans and bring in another revenue stream that is not untapped because these, these there are people that you know maybe aren't baseball fans, but this series might get them to be baseball fans or Red Sox fans, even if they're not Red Sox, but baseball in general, right? Um, and you look at how – Major League Baseball is trying to grow the game, right? They don't just want U.S. Now they're they're having a game in England. They're having in 2025 is going to be a game in Paris. There's games all over the world, and they're trying to grow the European market. And 
they're trying to build on markets. A show like this is proven to work in markets that are not historically successful for sports. Formula One in the U.S. with Drive to Survive. Massive success. Also still grew the Formula One audience, even in the U.K. and Europe, when, when it's already the biggest audience, right? I think this is a show that they're hoping to grow not only, yes, U.S. audience and bring in revenue from that, but also internationally and globally and bring in more exposure and brand exposure for the Red Sox, which is a massive thing. Yes, they're not going to get the final say what goes in the show, but it's probably better that way. You don't want it to be a propaganda machine. You want it to be real life and the real stuff that's happening and make it authentic. And that's how you make a show like this authentic. It has proven to work under the Netflix kind of way of how they do it with whether it's a sport like Formula One, golf, tennis, or just teams like Sunderland and the Sunderland Till I Die series. And uh, even like out, go outside of Netflix and you look at, you know, Welcome to Wrexham and Hard Knocks, right? Uh, these shows have worked. These sports docu-series, they work. And there's a reason they work. And I think financially, it's just a really smart decision because this is a there's this, this is a way that they can legitimately grow baseball. And in America, baseball is losing traction. They're losing ground to football and basketball. They're losing ground to soccer, which is coming up on their behinds. And now Formula One's becoming massive and because of Netflix and because of Drive to Survive. And even more sports are becoming bigger and bigger, right? Baseball's not really getting that much bigger in the U.S. It's kind of lagging behind. This is a chance to get baseball back to the forefront and back to being one of the top sports in America because it has truly fallen behind football and even basketball. Um, so I think for the MLB and for the Red Sox, uh, but mostly baseball as a whole, this is a needed thing, and I think it just makes so much sense, and I think it's almost great timing because if this Red Sox team isn't that good, the stories this this is going to be faith focused on the stories that happen. It's not going to be focused on oh whether the team's good or not good. This is going to focus on the stories, the players, the coaches, the executives, the medical staff, maybe even fans. Like it's going to be a whole experience, and it's not just going to be focused. Does the on field play expect this, like affect the stories that's happening? Yeah, because it affects what's going on in the day to day of the team, but it's not going to be a main focus. It'll have an effect on how we hear the story obviously um but it's not going to be oh the red sox lost or were terrible and this is going to be bad or the red sox were good and this is going to be good i think this will be really good either way and i think it'll bring a new kind of in-depth unprecedented look into the sport of baseball that baseball fans have never really gotten a scene for diehard fans and casual and even non-baseball fans so overall i think it's amazing kind of amazing that they never took this that baseball hasn't taken this step before considering hard knocks was hard knocks been on the air for 15 20 years something like that and now that formula one has a show soccer has two shows like this it's kind of incredible that it took baseball this long but as the red sox go i think there are two individuals who are more excited about this show than anybody else that's involved. That's Tyler O'Neill and Jaron Duran. I see these two pulling a full Johnny Damon all year. I think every time that they are not actually on the field playing a game, if there are cameras around, they are going to be shirtless. They will be constantly photobombing, video bombing, whatever you want to call it, at every opportunity Someone else is talking. They'll be in the background pretending not to try to be in the background, but be in the background, uh, you know, do, maybe doing the, 
the like yawn like you're pretending to yawn but you're really flexing uh every muscle in your body so it gets on so it gets on camera um they'll be they're gonna beg the camera crew to shadow them during a weightlifting session where they're just jacking up as much iron as possible be wearing their gun shirts that show off their pipes and once they work up a sweat one of them's gonna say to the other one hey bro is it hot in here or is it just us and the other will go, yeah, bro, let's ditch these ab blankets. And they'll Hulk Hogan their shirts off uh, in front of the cameras. Then they'll they'll share an awkward hug like Rocky and Apollo on the beach in uh, Rocky Three. Uh, by the way, is there a better combination of names for a pair of Gen Z bro bodybuilder BFFs than Jaron and Tyler? That's like those two should be the stars of Pain and Game Part sense. Two. So that that that's how I think the show is gonna go, and when Giancarlo Stanton sees it, he's gonna demand that the Yankees be the team that it gets followed by Netflix in 2025. Um, he's gonna he's gonna march into Brian Cashman's office, and he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna say, "Look, you let them follow us around in 2025, then after 2025, I promise I'll waive my no trade clause." and happily go wherever you tell me in exchange for that. So that, that, that's how I, how I see this shaking out. Mike, would you be receptive to seeing how excited would you be if the Yankees were the next team that Netflix followed? I mean, the Yankees have the biggest fan base in all of, in all of sports maybe, but they're very, a very buttoned down kind of organization. Um, I think it'd be really cool, especially, I mean, as a fan, I think it'd be really cool. Um, and then, I mean, especially you follow, you start the show off, like starting at the parade of the 2024 world series champions, New York Yankees. And then that's going to not only propel, it's going to help Juan Soto. I mean, he's not going to leave Netflix following you around for a year. Now you just guaranteed he's coming back. So, um, no, I mean, you, you, nothing like getting crowned the king of New York because by all means, if Aaron Judge and Juan Soto win the 2024 World Series, they will be the kings of New York. They will be crowned right on Netflix season two, first episode. Um, <laughs> other than that, um, I think it'd be cool. And then you, you follow them throughout the next season. They'll be the first team to repeat since the, you know, the 2099 Yankees. Um, and there's your season two. So there's my vote. I do want to add to the real quick too into this whole thing. Like the Red Sox, like this is a thing they've worked on for like 18 months. Supposedly this is a thing that's been with ownership and it's been talked to executives in the front office. And it's been talked to with like Alex Cora and coaches. And it's been talked to with players. And, you know, Nick Pavetta was a big thing as he's the Red Sox, you know, uh, MLBPA player rep, Trevor story has been involved. Rob, Rob Refsnyder was a name that was that the producers had talked to and gotten a feel for. And there's other guys too, but those are the three that I saw named uh, Pavetta story and Ref Snyder. Uh, but like, I think this is going to be a thing where like, if the players don't really want to be involved, there'll probably be a couple of them. Yeah. They probably won't really involve them much, but there'll also be players that are more than willing to, I would believe. And I think as the season goes on and especially after the first season, I think this thing of whether they stay with the Red Sox after and do more seasons, maybe they go to other teams. If that does happen, I think more and more players will be willing to get involved in this uh, and be involved in this kind of process. Um, Cause, and I think it will grow the game. I think it will do that very well. 
Um, and the other thing too is like, I think this is a thing for me. This thing for more so for me. Nah, I'm gonna say like, I don't care that this store. It's great that this store. I'm a Red Sox fan, but like, this could be the Colorado Rockies, and I would be excited for this. I think this is like a legitimate like step for baseball. Um, so that's what like I'm legitimately excited about this. And Hard Hard Knocks has followed crappy teams before too. I don't know how much the ratings suffered from it, but it's just it's the whole interest of everything that happens there. Everybody wants to know they, these guys are like rock stars and everyone wants to see behind the scenes what's going on in the clubhouse. So if you know players like Josh Beckett would absolutely hate this cuz he was always kind of apparent supposedly always kind of a D-bag in the in the clubhouse and didn't make team first decision uh team first choices. So he he was one of the he, who wore a stock Tommy, shirt once. Tommy Pham would be an absolute star on this show. <laughs> Imagine following two years, two th- was it two, three years ago? They they show the you know the start of an episode. He smacks the hot of someone in the outfield for fantasy football league. That was easy. Yeah, can we trade or sign Tommy Pham now? Can we please sign Tommy Pham? Like let the Red Sox sign him. <laughs> He's a right-handed bat. Like he has experience in Boston. Like. Just get a bunch of players who's just going to sell this show, like Yasiel Puig. <laughs> yeah, Lu screw Yushida. it. Why not? <laughs> Lucy Shida, we need ratings for Netflix. <laughs> I, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me so much with the way this front office has been leaning uh, lately. By the way, check out my column uh, that I put up on BleacherBrawls.com on Tuesday, where I pretty much blame Roman Anthony. Uh, for the Red Sox bailing on on essentially punting on the 2024 season because a 19 year old kid did really good in A ball and Double A last year, so like yeah, let's wait, let's 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 hang back a couple more years and see where these prospects go. But as far as the series goes, another reason it's interesting for the Red Sox because they have so many young players that are trying to prove their worth as Major League Baseball players that are going to stick around. It's I think you're going to see a lot of the the struggles, the anxiety, probably some good-natured hazing from the veterans because there's a lot of rookies on the team. So I think I can't wait to see it. I was thinking Alex Cora, it would be a great way for Alex Cora to showcase himself because he's in his lame duck year right now. But then I realized by the time the show is released in 2025, he'll probably have either re-signed with the Red Sox or found his next job with a different team. So I guess it's, but it's also, I've always been curious. I think Alex Cora is the greatest manager the Red Sox have ever had. I can't wait to see a little bit of his work behind the scenes. Well, let's move on. It is our 200th episode. So in place of a clip show, uh, we thought we would just kind of reflect a little bit uh, about what, uh, what, what we've learned as contributors on this podcast, what we've learned as we've been quote unquote covering the Red Sox uh, and the Yankees, Derek and I have been, been with Bleacher Brawls for two years now. Mike is new to the game. Uh, he's been around a little while, but certainly long enough to soak up uh, and soak up some new tidbits here and there, considering the, the army of minds that he's been working with here. So uh, I thought we'd all just kind of take a couple minutes and uh, explain one thing that we've learned 
during our tenure doing doing this podcast, being uh, members of the Bleacher Brawls family. Uh, Mike, why don't you go first? Um, so this is uh, definitely my first podcast experience. So I think I've been with you guys. I think June was when I came on. So um, was it eight months, something like that? Um, you know, the biggest thing I've learned, I don't know if it's necessarily, I haven't really learned, you know, obviously about the show, but um, I learned how quickly your opinion can change in a week uh, based off people's performance and injuries and news coming out, you know, from different people's mouths. So um, that's something I've learned. Um, I've learned to, you know, don't die on a hill because Carlos Rodon can have one of the worst starts to a season and the worst end to a season, you know. So, um, no, I've just learned to kind of uh, be patient, enjoy the game. I've definitely learned to um, enjoy the game more. You know, I was just a Yankees fan, but I think I'm becoming way more of a baseball fan, especially learning about new other teams. And this show helps me learn about other teams, like in the offseason when the Dodgers are signing everyone or we're talking about Corbin Burns. So, um, it's been fun. Happy to be here and happy to be a part of the, the special episode. Well, we're happy to have you with us. It's good to have at least one sensible mind watching the Yankees and covering for us because the other one really can't be trusted any more than Joey can be trusted because they are in fact one and the same person. I have seen them both on the same, uh, call on the same podcast at one time, but I have never seen them each in the same place at the same time. So I'm still not completely sure that Joey isn't just a manifestation, an AI manifestation created by John. Derek, what have you learned in the last two years with us? Uh, I mean, it's been exciting. It's been a fun, fun ride, honest. Uh, I mean, I remember like it almost yesterday when we decided to start the group, I remember, uh, I was flying down from school and I was still in school in Maine. And my one year I spent in school in Maine, it was the day we flew down. We decided, hey, we might be starting this thing um, as myself, you, Luke, Joey, and Pat, you know, had something else that, you know, obviously fell through. Um, and you said, oh, my, my guy, John, we do this thing, Bleach Rolls, right? Collins, we'd be looking at maybe making it a bigger thing. And I'm like, and it's like, oh, yeah, let's roll with this. Um, I got down to Florida, I'm out of school. And then that summer we started it. Um, and it's been a fun, really fun process. Um, my column going up tomorrow, actually, it's my 55th column for Bleacher Brawls, which is uh, crazy. If you would have told me even, you know, a year ago that, you know, last, the last baseball season, I'd be writing weekly columns and whatnot. And, you know, even continuing writing in the off season and now this year getting ready to do it again. Um, because I hate writing. i never been a person English hated English class my whole life didn't really care for it did like bare minimum to like get like if I had a minimum requirement I hit that in terms of words and pages and like I wasn't going much further um but in this is kind of it kind of helped me to kind of figure out my life because now I'm a sports broadcasting major when we first met each other I was a sport management major now I'm a sports broadcasting major at a different school um so this is kind of what I want to do with my life so getting this experience has been awesome and it's like and I mean, it's only episode 200. I hope we go for another 200 and maybe even another 200 after that. Um, you never know what the future holds, but um, it's been a great, you know, almost two years. And uh, I think our, our two year anniversary will be a pretty, a pretty fun one. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to another 200 episodes of Bleacher Worlds. 
So am I. And you two have been fantastic uh, in every way you've contributed. Derek, I know you said uh, you, you had some trepidation about writing when you first started writing. And more than more so than weekly columns, last week you wrote tri-weekly columns. You wrote three in one week, and he's coming quite a long way as a writer. And Mike, you can tell every week that you're getting better, more comfortable on the on the microphone. And that's not an easy thing to just figure out how to do on the fly when you haven't had any experience doing it. I know because I was there too when I started at the Derek and I started at the same place. Looking back, I can't believe I was a part of that operation because I can't stand it really. I just I just unfollowed it yesterday. Because I'm with the rivals now. <laughs> that's even wackier. I know that's true. I, I could I couldn't take it anymore. It, just even having it in my feed. But personally, what I've learned is that it's incredibly important to get everybody's view on a topic, especially the viewpoint of those people who you completely disagree with at the time. We're all prone to suffering from confirmation bias, where we form our own opinion and then what, and then mold whatever other information that we get about that subject into fitting that viewpoint. Uh, we've all—I've never done it, but the rest of you guys all all do all the time. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's important to hear from everybody, to hear everybody's thoughts. I can't stand Joey half the time. I can't stand John all the time. But they are—they they are on they're consuming the same information the same products as i am and they are just as they're just as smart as i am so they can there's no reason that because i disagree with them i should just be like oh you guys don't know what you're talking about i do it but i probably shouldn't uh and i'll, I'll probably do it again you know an hour from now but it's still it is still important. It's something that everybody should learn, especially if they're writing or speaking to an audience or trying to write and speak to an audience that you hope to grow at some point. So that is, that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned in the past two years. Uh, so it has been a very fun, well, I haven't been on all 200 episodes, but it's been a very fun ride of 200 episodes. And yes, I hope there's 200 more. And I hope Derek's got 555 more columns, uh, and I, I have no idea how many columns I've written. Uh, apparently, there's a way you can just track, look that up, so I'll have to do that at some point. Um, oh, no, I counted. So you go to your author page on the website. All right, that's not going to happen. You click on your name on one of the that ones you, you wrote, and there's six per page, and I had nine pages, so I counted eight, so 48, and then there were six on the last page, so 48 plus six is 54. That's on so the my short next list. One of the last things that I would ever want to do in my life. So, uh, but that's okay. Uh, I don't have to know what that is. Um, before we go, before we go any other, we're actually stopping early. I'm kind of ashamed of myself, but I'm not necessarily stopping anything. Either you guys want to touch on before we uh, say goodbye. Um, if you want your number, I can tell you. That's cool. I, I prefer I prefer being 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 a, a matter of of mystery and conjecture. Um, well, since we got the time, I will I will mention something that I saw. I saw this kicking around on X a couple days ago, and I could not stop laughing. It was this was it was footage from 
I think a TV show in Japan. It was footage of a rock, paper, scissors tournament. Did either of you see this? No? It no. Was, apparently, it was the finals of a rock, paper, scissors tournament that took place in Japan. And it was every bit as monumental as it should not have been at all. It was the exact opposite of what it should have been. This was a big event atmosphere. This was in an arena, like like the size of a basketball arena, I think. It had a capacity crowd, flashing lights, like on that show. Um, was it uh, that Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with the lights that were would blink and then zoom in, and they had the music, and all the kind of regalia you'd expect from a big production. And so the this was the finals, and the fight it wasn't a series; it was just one. It was just one contest of rock, paper, scissors that was going to decide the finals of this tournament. And so the competitors they were they were kids. They were it looked like middle school or high school aged girls. So they stand up on the stage and they hold they they're facing each other. They hold their fists out like the Black Panthers used to salute, and their their fists are only a you know, a matter of inches away from each other. And there's a referee, the camera is shooting their profile and the referee is standing, there's a referee is standing behind their fists, looking all serious, like like um, Big John McCarthy before a UFC title fight. And they're, and when, so the whole, like they don't even, you know how you do rock, paper, scissors, throw, and you bounce your fist every time when you do it. They didn't even do that. The referee just shouts something in Japanese, like "kaya," and they just they just throw and they just throw what they're throwing, the rock or the paper or the scissors. It just, the whole contest lasts a fraction of a millisecond, and like the announcer is like upping the tension. He's just so it happens, and the announcers and you see what each point. I think one through rock and one through scissors, and the announcer as as. It's as they're thrown, it's like screaming, what are your toes? Like, like Stan Hansen winning the IWGP championship in 1984. Um, and so in the winner, the winner bursts into tears, bursts into tears, happy tears. Like, but she bursts into tears. Like you would think her, her puppy just got run over by a tank, but she's, she's so elated that she she's uncontrolled. Her knees are buckling and the loser has a big smile on her face and goes and gives the winner a big hug. It's like, like they had just ended the Miss America pageant. And that was the kind of scene at the end of this rock, paper, scissors tournament. Now say what you want about beauty pageants and the people who had, compete in beauty pageants, say what you want about them. And I have for one, but when, when, when you do like the amount of work that beauty Queens put into that, like you've got to be, you got to be smart or at least you got to sound smart. If you're not smart, you got to be a good public speaker. You got to have a talent. Like you got to be able to sing or break dance or, or twirl a baton or something. You got to be good at something that you can perform in front of people. And you got to do all this while looking like a dime piece in a, a ball gown and a bikini. So, you know, as weird as beauty pageants are, like these, those girls are like working their asses off for years to be in that. These two kids played rock, paper, scissors. So they played in a tournament where it's completely up to chance. 
and there's a 33%, there's a 66.6% chance that you don't even lose. You know, there's a 33% chance you're going to win. There's a 33% chance that you're going to tie and you're just going to go again. But the, but just the, how elated the winner was, was, and just how much of a big deal they made it. It was, it all, it really made me respect the power of production. Like, and that was really, it was really amazing to see. Uh, and so I think, I think it goes show how different things can be in a completely different culture. Like I was, you know, talking about wrestling, the wrestling crowds in Japan, they don't make any noise. They just sit there until it's over and they'll clap. They'll clap, you know, politely if there's a big move or something, but we are so different. We are such different people than they have over, than they have on the other side of the world. And it was just, I can't imagine a rock, paper, scissors tournament. Every it, it, There could have been, assuming this took place all day, there could have been 1,500 people competing in this rock, paper, scissors tournament. And they Sounds still like could have Mr. all Beast done video. it in a day. What were you saying, Derek? Sounds like a Mr. Beast video. Mr. Beast? Yeah, you're not gonna get it. It's I don't know. I don't get it. He's a YouTuber who, like, one of his videos that he did back in the day was like counting to like a hundred thousand or something, and that was like the video. That's for some reason I thought of um, No Country for Old Men, where that guy walks into the gas station. He's like, "What's the most you ever lost on a coin toss? Like, what's the most you ever lost in a rock paper scissors matchup? Like, well." apparently pride like tons of pride and respect so there was a lot on the line in that so that was crazy to see um i will say japan they get rock paper scissors tournaments we have power slap thanks dana white i get to see people slap each other on the face that's knock each other that can't be still around right yes it is unfortunately it is yeah it's dana white who's running it that's why he's a lunatic i saw a couple of those and it was, I mean, these guys were getting concussed. These people were getting knocked out with this. And I can't yeah, believe it has been, it. I can't believe they haven't shut it down. Like in UFC, it's, there's tons of concussions, but it's not a guaranteed concussion. You know, <laughs> there's a very good chance. You can't even protect yourself. You're just going to take a slap on the chin. <laughs> right. And the guy's like winding up. And it's like, there's literally, you can't protect yourself. You just got to take it like straight on the chin and hope that you don't get knocked out. And then you might get knocked down, but if you're not out of it, they still might let you go and slap the other person. And then if you don't knock them out, you're going to get slapped again. Dude, Dana White is kind of like, um, Charles Barkley, in a way, like he can say just about anything he wants, and nobody, like the South Park guys, they can say they can do anything they want, and they're not subject to the same rules as everybody else. It's just like, yeah, staying away. I mean, he just he does that. He does crazy things and never held accountable for it at all. So I mean, good for him. Good to be Dana White, I guess. <sighs> You got something, Mike? Looks like you're about to say something. No, I was just gonna say, um, I'm just waiting for the days to bet on it, because then I'll then it'll become a serious sports man. If I can bet it on FanDuel or DraftKings, I'm in for it. Probably could. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Probably could. 
I checked. I don't think so. Not yet. Not yet, at least. Maybe in like Vegas because it's, they only do it in Vegas. They do it at the UFC performances. Uh, I was gonna say I'm sure there's some like sketchy overseas book where they're betting on that uh, rock paper scissors though. I guarantee it. It's it, it's it's tough. It's a tough. It's a tough um, racket if you're if you're betting on it because those odds are are never gonna waver. They're always gonna be the same. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you can bet, you know, is this guy going to throw scissors, paper, rock, <laughs> oh, this chick live betting, rock. live betting. This chick <laughs> always throws rock. I'm definitely and then, I, and then you got to think, you got to think how easy is that to fix? Like, Hey, you're just throwing rock this whole round. I don't want to see one paper. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to throw rock in a sentence yeah. and you're going to lose. Big. Yeah. Just telling her coach, her, her rock, paper, scissors coach, they told me, they asked me to take a dive. Yeah. <laughs> Just do it. You don't know these people the way I do. Yeah. Those those better be real tears when you lose too. This is how I said no to them. I said no to them when I was just starting out. They broke all my fingers. <laughs> never never shoot rock paper scissors again. You can only put scissors. No, you can only shoot you can only do scissors. <laughs> oh yeah. There you go. Cut three out of the five fingers and you're just scissors the rest of your life. I don't throw scissors anymore. I just throw hooks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll we do have a tad up. bit of news, though, um, oh, real quickly, because I think this is somewhat important. Um, uh, the minor league uh, CBA um, signed last year is continuing to change. Um, the MLB Players Association is now certifying agents who represent only minor leaguers. Um, in order previously, in order to be certified, an agent needed at least one client on a forty-man roster. Um, that is now changing, so I think that's probably you know I think that's nice to see. You know, especially if you're an agent, you're trying to get in the business, and you're you know you you got a couple minor league players, but you know no one in the big leagues. I think that's kind of a now this, these agents can get certified. So I think it's uh, I think that's a cool little thing that's happening. I wonder how many what percentage of minor league players. Have even ever had agents? A decent chunk, because you hear all the time I, when guys get drafted. It's like, oh yeah, they're a Boris guy, or they're, you know, I mean that with a top guy. It's like obviously, the, I I guarantee they have an agent of some sort. I could see it being only the top five percent of minor league players, but I could also see it being seventy five percent of major league players having agents. It's, it's one of those things. I, I literally have never thought about that until right now. Um, but no, it's interesting news. Um, well, Tommy DeVito had an agent, so who did Tommy DeVito? Tommy DeVito, isn't that the Giants quarterback? Yeah, okay, it's on football. I'm like, I know that name, but yeah, the Giants quarterback with the you know, um, hey, when you when you start winning football games and you throw more touchdowns in your in your you know your your start of your career than any giant in and in, in history you kind of need a you need a you look at, how many how many commercials have you seen of him at least two or three on youtube hey, hey tommy cutlets that's his nickname <laughs> i would say not to mention he's probably eating cutlets anywhere he goes in new york for the rest of his life for free so it was going to get paid soon as brock purdy's agent Especially oh, yeah. if he can if he can come out with a well, if San Francisco's defense can come out with a win for him. Who you guys got this weekend? This weekend, what's that? Who who, who you guys got the Super Bowl? I got Niners. the Chiefs. I think you gotta go. I I think 
the Niners, all in all, are probably a little better. Like, I would say they're like a 53% and the Chiefs are 47%, something like that. But I think you always, in a big game like that, you always got to go with the better quarterback. And especially if it's someone like Mahomes, he's one of the like five quarterbacks probably ever. That I would think you not you can't pick against him in a Super Bowl. He might not win, but you can't. If you say you bet again, you put a thousand bucks on the Niners winning and the Chiefs win. You like you're kicking yourself in the ass. It's like how could I, how could I put money against Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl? Yep, I learned my lesson last week against the Ravens. Won't be making that <laughs> mistake ever again. He's the, the dude's been to like four AFC championships in the six years he's played, or something like that. It's annoying. Oh, I mean, like, he's he's on the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks already. It's annoying because we got to see Taylor Swift now every single time. Oh, who like, cares? No, I don't Does that hate really Taylor bother Swift. you? I, no, it's, but no, my, it bothers me when Travis Kelsey isn't even on the field. The Chiefs, like, have, a, like, a rushing touchdown. He's not even on the field, and then they still show her. It's like, what? Why? To be fair, they show they show Brittany Mahomes all the time, too. So I, I'm a, I'd rather see Taylor Swift than Brittany Mahomes. I'd rather see neither of them when it doesn't involve either of them. I don't get the hate around her. She hasn't really done anything but no, I'm not date a guy. Her, but I'm just saying, like, why are we showing her when Travis Kelsey has nothing to do with this? The Chiefs could get a pick six, and it's like, up, Pro- oh, go show Taylor Swift. Probably because she's, like, the number one female artist of our generation. And she's still like, maybe a the billionaire woman on the planet. Like, there was way more. We, we used to see... I feel like I used to see Carrie Underwood every four minutes uh, during the football season last year between the commercials and her singing the song before the game. And she was, I think she was doing halftime shows and stuff. And it's like, I, I didn't get sick of that. Who doesn't mind looking at Carrie Underwood? Who doesn't mind looking at, I mean, who minds, I'm sorry, who minds looking at Carrie Underwood? Who minds looking at Taylor Swift? You know, it's, it's not like she's, I, I don't like Brittany Mahomes just because she's, you know, she's kind of a tool. Uh, Jackson Mahomes is worse. Yeah, and his brother too. Jackson Mahomes, like he's the worst. And his dad got arrested again. Oh yeah, just got a DUI. Someone get that dude a driver. Like, how many millions no. of dollars is oh. Patrick Mahomes? That dude can't afford an Uber. Come on now. Well, and his father was a major league baseball player for like ten yeah. years too. <laughs> like you know the deal. <laughs> what are you doing? This ain't Especially your first when rodeo. Been arrested before. Like, come on. Like, are you going to learn at some point? Although I will say this, I, my preseason predictions, which I think I wrote in a column, um, I picked 49ers to win the Super Bowl. So I don't think I, I feel like I can't really change that now. I didn't have them playing the Chiefs. I had the Jaguars, which I'm saying I believe would be true had Trevor Lawrence not gotten injured. Because as soon as he got injured, they started sucking. So I'm not giving that dream up of my Jaguars Niners Super Bowl prediction being right. It'll be right one of these years. <laughs> yeah, two years. But uh, I gotta go. I gotta go. Forty Niners. Well, good luck to you on that one. Don't put any money on it. That's that's what I gotta say about that. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll wrap it up. Um, Pat, unfortunately, I tried, but I could not get this show to reach the hour mark. So uh, we we are going to wrap it up now. Um, that was fun. Our 200th episode is in the bag. Uh, thank you, Pat. Thank you, Mike. 
Uh, and um, everybody, make sure you keep tuning in on uh, Thursday mornings. Make sure you keep tuning in on Monday mornings. He said thank and you, Pat and Mike. Where's my thank you? <laughs> he did, did say, say Pat. Pat? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh man, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was I was thinking of Pat because Pat was like, Pat's the guy who hates when the show goes over an hour. But yeah, like, oh, I know. I'm sorry. Jeez, that's embarrassing. We are over an hour though. You know, I'll make it up to you by not charging you with a dare for that because you did interrupt me but it was my fault so um happy 200th episode um so all right that's gonna do it uh thanks for tuning in and uh we will talk to you next time all right folks that's the latest episode of bleacher brawls thanks for tuning in for rating us five stars and leaving us a nice review and don't forget to check us out on bleacherbrawls.com on YouTube, and on Twitter.